everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Hallmark Heartbeats, a podcast all about Hallmark movies. I am your host, Khalil. And today I wanted to try a little bit of something different. Most of the time, you guys only get audio podcasts when it comes to movie reviews. You usually only get video of the podcast when I am doing an interview. But I wanted to try some, uh, something a little bit different this week, which is a video podcast. See how this works? It's also going to be released on all audio platforms, like all the other podcasts that I've been doing. It's going to be on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much any platform that you guys listen to a podcast. It will also be in audio form, but I thought, why not do a video as well? So... If this works out, all of my what calls the heart episode reviews will be on this platform. Comment below to tell me what you guys think of it. Anyway, this week, Hallmark released the newest episode of What Calls the Heart. It is the second episode of season nine. The title of it is episode two, Out Like a Lamb. I have my notes ready with the outline and everything and let's go step by step on what happened in this episode first up mayoral race in the end of season eight there were three different people signed up to do the mayoral race and that was michael hickam bill and lee coulter this episode, we find out who won the race, and who here is surprised that it was Mike? <laughs> I wasn't surprised. I kind of called it at season eight when they were all signing up. I was thinking to myself, like, I think out of the three characters, Mike would be a good one, mostly because we don't know who Mike is, really. You know, we know he works for going petroleum we know he's like <laughs> he has a thing for Fiona but he really doesn't have a storyline on my cause to heart unlike Bill and Lee and I've always felt like out of the three men who signed up for the race he would benefit the most and I was right <laughs> oh fuck after a recount, which was comedy to me, I mean, here's the thing, 2020 presidential election was just a little over a year ago, and who, f who remembers the drama of, like, you know, election fraud, election fraud, accusations of that, um, Supreme Court weighing in, you know, stop the count, <laughs> keep on counting, and of course, January 6th, I mean, it is quite a reminder, and also, um, I don't know, it, 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 I feel like the fact that we still, a hundred years later, are having election drama 
<laughs> that a TV show set in the 1920s can relate to and seem realistic, I guess. Um, I think that shows how little progress we have <laughs> with our elections. I mean, I think, if anything, this might, you know, this shows us that we kind of need to update our election practices if we're facing the same problems, I guess, a hundred years later. Um, <laughs> but yes, Mike won the race. I called it. I wasn't surprised. Yay, Mike. Um, I loved Fiona's reaction to the announcement. Everybody else was shocked. Heckham wasn't there when he was announced as mayor. Come to find out he was helping another neighbor with their cows or whatever, which I think is a testimony to who Hickam is. Hickam is a good guy who helps other people and is part of the community or whatever. And I feel like that is what makes a good mayor, in my opinion, anyway. Um, I'm excited to see what he, he's going to do as a mayor. They haven't had a mayor, really, since Abigail left in season six. She was the last mayor of Hope Valley. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see that. To avoid conflict of interest, though, Mike stepped down from Golden Petroleum and decided to give his shares to Fiona. So, um, I'm glad that he is taking the mayoral job seriously and stuff. Now, the person who had the hardest time, really, with finding out that he lost the election was Lee, because from what he told Rosemary, this was, I guess, his way of, like, finding his purpose in town. And I'm sitting there going, dude, you're, like, one of the two biggest employers in town. I think you have a purpose. You're also very respected and stuff in town. You don't need the title mayor. <laughs> you haven't needed it for, like, six years. But I guess he had his hopes up. I mean, he even had an acceptance speech in his pocket, ready to give it, you know, ex expecting to win. Um, but Rosemary, I guess, wanted to like get him out of the slump and offered him the managing editor position of The Voice, The Valley Voice, and he accepted it. So now, him and Rosemary are going to be working together. <laughs> okay. So, the other, another plot point of, about this show is Lucas and Elizabeth. They're the main couple now, as we all know. L Lucas was chosen between Elizabeth, between him and Nathan. Um, the last time that we saw them, they were riding off into the sunset on a hot air balloon that was 
piloted by Lucas. And Elizabeth in this episode just kind of reminded him that, you know, you don't need to have the big grand gestures of hot air balloon and sunset rise or whatever to show me that you love me. You don't need that. And I think that's a good reminder for everybody is that you don't need big things to sometimes to tell somebody that you love them. Little things count too. Some of the little moments that they shared is like walking, him escorting her home, her giving him a special teacup, um, just hand holding is one, getting her ice cream and little Jack ice cream as well. I mean, here's the thing, she's a single mother. I feel like the best little moment that Lucas could show that he really loves Elizabeth and wants to, you know, be a part of her life is to spend all that energy by loving on her son, who is also, who's probably the most important person in her life, you know, and getting close to him and stuff. Because honestly, without little Jack's approval, I'm pretty sure Elizabeth and Lucas would survive. Um, but that's pretty much it with Lucas and Elizabeth. They're, they did share some scenes with Nathan, which I have to talk about. Cause <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. I, Lucas and Nathan, for like two seasons, were fighting over Elizabeth, right? Like fighting. They were not fighting like fisticuffs, but you know, rivalries, I guess. Rivals. And I I have this point of contention about um, one scene in this episode where Lucas and Nathan, you know, Lucas gives him ice cream in the hospital room or whatever. And Nathan goes, you don't have to do this for me, you know, because you're guilt, you feel guilty or whatever. And Lucas is like, what do I have to feel guilty about? And he was like, you know, because of Elizabeth. And I'm sitting there going, what does Lucas have to feel guilty about? He didn't do anything. Elizabeth wasn't Nathan's, never Nathan's. She was a single woman. There was no previous link to Nathan what would Lucas have to feel guilty about? I mean, I would understand if, like, he stole Nathan from... I mean, he stole Elizabeth from Nathan, but she's not... She was never his property. She was never... Like, she was never his girlfriend or wife or anything like that. All three people were single, unattached, and Elizabeth freely chose Lucas. No guilt. There's no guilt. It was kind of presumptuous that, in my opinion, anyway, that Nathan would think that Lucas had some guilt. I mean, like, for what? <laughs> I didn't get it. So, yeah. That was a little bit crazy. I mean, here... 
What did you guys think? Do you guys think that Lucas had anything to feel guilty about? What kind of little moments do you share with your partner that shows that you love them or that they love you? Please comment below and tell me. I would like to know. For me, I just love, I would like, one of my main love languages is touch. I'd like to have someone hold my hand or, you know, hug me, that kind of thing. I think that is sweet and adorable and it makes me feel loved and safe. Another um, love language of mine that is very important is verbal, talking to me, compliments. I like to hear, hey, good job. Hey, you know, I'm proud of you. Those are words of affirmation that I eat up and that I <coughs> appreciate very much. So please let me know in the comments below what kind of love language do you guys expect from your partner? Another point of plot point from this episode was Mei Sue. Mei Sue is a new pharmacist in town. We still don't know her backstory. I still hold on to the idea that she's running away from her husband because of a domestic violence situation. I honestly feel like her secrecy, her running away, her avoiding questions, um, asking Bill for help. I don't know. It just to me just screams she was beat by her husband, which would be a very hard and tough subject and probably a subject that no most hardies would not expect Hallmark to touch on their show. But again, I didn't expect them to talk about racism in season eight to talk about medical racism or anything like that in season eight, maybe they're not going a little grittier and showing real life, which is sadly domestic violence, especially at the time is very prominent and divorce is hard for women, you know, but as we found out in episode one, Ned all this time had thought that he was talking to May's husband, you know, hiring him to be the pharmacist for his soda shop slash pharmacy. Um, but surprise, surprise, it was not May's husband that he was talking to, it was May herself. Now, May did pose a question to Ned, if you had known I was a woman, would you have hired me? I would even go further and say, if you had known my name is May Sue, which is, you know, Oriental, Asian um, based, would you have hired me? 
I'm... I think no. I'm going to say this right now. I don't think Ned would have hired May if he knew she was a woman. Why? Because at the time, women were looked at as second-class citizens in 1910s. I mean, call back to season one when they had the female prosecutor, female lawyer, come to town to try going, Henry going, for like knowing about the dangers in the mines, in the coal mines. Everyone was shocked that she was a woman. And they even questioned if, you know, she, what her education background is. Everything. Because, and to be honest with you, it still happens today. Men are more likely to, are more accepting for like a higher powered job than a woman. A woman, and this is a, without the race factor, will first be looked at, will first be questioned on um, their qualifications more so than a man. But oh my God, even more so if that woman is a woman of color. Think about it, okay? That's how you give you an example of current times. President Biden has promised to pick a black woman as the next Supreme Court Justice. Now, no other justice has ever been demanded to show their outside scores, to show their degrees, to look at their background. I mean, here's the thing. Amy Comey Barrett, she had far less court cases in her belt than most of the justices now. Plus, including the black, including the justices, justice that President Biden is thinking about. And she went through, she was voted through into the Supreme Court without being asked her LSAT scores or anything like that. Her record as a judge was public. The lack of cases that she's faced is public. No one questioned whether or not she was right to Supreme Court justice. But President Biden's was. And then people were saying things like, oh, well, I mean, like, she's being hired because she's a black woman and, you know, Biden promised a black woman in court. Guess what? Ronald Reagan also promised a woman to be a justice in Supreme Court justice. And that's a platform that he ran on before he chose Sandra Day O'Connor. And I, nobody had a problem with that. 
I am just saying that there is a discrepancy with how men is looked at versus a woman and then how white women's qualifications are looked at versus a woman of color. It is a very, um, if you guys look and open your eyes, it is very clear, the story. So I, I honestly don't think Ned would have hired Mesu if he had known she was a woman. And I definitely don't think he would have hired Mesu if he knew her name was Mesu. And I don't, and as I, I, I don't think it's a race thing. I don't think it's uh I think it's more of a times because I'm pretty sure you know the actors are not looking at it now in the 19 you know in the 2020 like they're not gonna hire somebody because of their gender or because of their race I mean of course that would be called discrimination that would be against the law but also in, in the 1910s yeah I don't think May would have gotten the job as a pharmacist anyway May's plot point for this episode was that she was the only person who was able to get close enough to Nathan's horse Newton, who was injured during the car accident, um, her, his leg was bleeding, and he kept, you know, favoring his leg. So, yeah, the like, Mesu was the only person who got close enough to Newton to fix the leg, and I'm glad that she did. Um, Nathan throughout this episode was on bed rest in the infirmary faith was taking care of him and i'm it's so great to see faith you know being the older doctor while carson was the town doctor um she was like his underling he she was always looked at as not the head doctor it was always Carson which is again something that they brought up in season 8 and I guess again part of the times because again women were at the time looked at as a second class citizen so yeah um, I am glad to see Faith taking on the head town doctor loving it and she is totally killing it I laughed <laughs> my butt off though when um, Elizabeth went to see Nathan and Nathan faked amnesia and was like, who are you again? <laughs> Do I know you? I thought that was so hilarious and typical Nathan um, I loved 
again everything to do I already said my point of view about the whole Lucas Nathan exchange with guilt but I do have to say that I am glad to see both men are working on their friendship and hopefully this becomes a symbolism for the team Nathan team Lucas fans and stuff but you never know <laughs> anyway the t- next plot point that we I want to talk about is the Canfields and Coop their son you know it's I guess rebelling I don't know um he told his mom he asked his mom do I have to keep going to church you know do I have to go to church again because you know she he's starting to question Authority. He started to question his beliefs or whatever. Mindy's response was, Mindy's response was, let's talk to your dad. Let's talk about it or whatever. Joseph's response was, you're going to church. There's nothing to talk about. And my thoughts are, why? I, I mean, I get it. He's a child. And he it's a parent's job to I guess lead their children um, to what they think is right but forcing somebody to do something that they don't want to do is gonna make them hate the thing more you know um, that's my opinion that's my that's what I had went through we all I guess in some point of our lives question what is taught of us if you but if you keep forcing the child to believe what you believe without like letting them explore their thoughts or whatever then that's not respecting your child and in my opinion the thing that really got to me was Joseph's response was what will people say if my child doesn't go to church and I'm the pastor I'm sitting there going why do you care what other people will think about you. You care more about the, the appearance, your family's appearance, you know, than your own child's doubts and questions. I think, in my opinion, there, there should have been a middle ground. You know, maybe Coop just uh, just wants to not be in church, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't believe in God. And I truly believe that you don't need a building, a church, or whatever, to have a relationship with God. And if he doesn't want to go to church, let him not go to church and let him find his way back to church. And I 
I had a really big issue with like Joseph's. Well, what will other people think? Who cares? Who gives a crap that it's your son who is questioning his faith? And, you know, at this point, appearance shouldn't matter as much as your child's mental health, as much as your child, you know, showing support for your child. Um, that's my opinion, but hey, who am I to say? I'm not a Christian or a parent, but I will say this. I started questioning the church really young, um, probably around Coop's age. I started questioning the church, mostly because I was like, I was like Job. I went through a really, really hard time in my life, a lot of hard times in my life, and I was like, God if you're real why are you making me go through these things and i was just a child my parents my foster parents you know took me to church with them and i went to church with them but they didn't force me to do any to participate in the church like i was in the building if you could say so but I wasn't like, you know, singing with the, the songs. I wasn't like, I was reading the Bible verses, but I wasn't like, it wasn't soaking in or whatever. I got um, baptized into the church, like maybe five years later, but it was slow. It was like, on my own journey and it was just like you know nobody forced me to it or whatever at around 20 years old I started questioning the church again and this time as an adult I didn't have like someone like making me go to, to a church with them I and but the more that I learned academically about the background of Christianity and you know how Christians treated people and stuff like that, all in the Word of God, using the Word of God, um, I was like, oh no, oh no, 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 I'm not going back to church. <laughs> So I haven't been back to church really. The last time I went to church was like about, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. Um, I don't regret not going to church. And I know people say things like, you shouldn't judge a whole religion based on a few bad apples or these are not just these are not real Christians all of these nonsense but here's the thing they call themselves Christian they're the loudest voice and the good Christians aren't saying anything or aren't saying it loud enough 
in my opinion. And it's just discouraging, you know. Um, I do still love God. I still believe in God. Um, but I just refuse to claim a religion. So I guess I'm sort of like Coop. So I've been Coop several times in my life. I just hope that Minnie and Joseph allows him to come back to church in his own terms, in his own time. I think that's the best way to do it, you know? Anyway. And then the last plot point was Henry. Henry it, um, sees a premiere, got into fisticuff <laughs> with Jerome Smith, who was a businessman introduced to town by Fiona and Hickam. Um, he was supposed to invest in the pipeline for the gold petroleum. He has a past with Henry because they both were part of the Pacific Mining Northwest company. Um, I They didn't expand much on what Jerome position was but we do know that Jerome knows about Henry trying to warn the company about the dangers of the coal mines um, knows that the company ignored Henry's warnings but that's about it Henry came back. Uh, Henry had left Hope Valley in season eight. You know, and we find out between season eight and season nine, he had gone to see Abigail. And he had also gone to see his son, Christopher, who was introduced to Hope Valley in season eight. He had fallen in love with Lee's niece, Rachel, who we also saw in season eight. And we find out this episode that they're engaged. They look like they're about to get married. Wonder if Lee and Rosemary will be invited to that wedding. I would I would hope that Lee and Rosemary not only know not only will be invited to the wedding, but also know that their niece is engaged, you know, because Leah and Rosemary helped her grow up and find her identity and be an individual or whatever during her time at Hope Valley. Um, she wanted to stay at Hope Valley and probably would have if the dress shop stayed open. So I hope that they would have been part of the wedding or at least know that Rachel was engaged. I mean, I'm surprised Lee and Rosemary never even brought up their niece this season so far. Maybe it's, maybe they'll bring her up and see later in the season. And maybe Rachel will come visit. Anyway, um, Elizabeth had invited Henry to come to the school and make a speech about the fight. You know, kind of discouraging the students 
from solving their conflicts with violence. And Henry did, at the end, he, he told them, if we hurt one another, we will all end up in pain. So in other words, if you start a fight with one person, it's gonna hurt, it's not only gonna hurt the person that you hit, it's gonna hurt yourself as well. Which I guess is a nice speech. Um, Fiona also knew about Henry and Jerome's past and went to Henry to tell him, look, I am sorry for, you know, bringing him in without, like, telling you. Henry thanked her for the apology. I told her, you know, thank you for reminding me to not um, forget the important stuff. To keep an eye on the important stuff. Also, at the end of the episode, Henry does go to church on Sunday, attends the service, and stuff. Um, Jerome doesn't seem to be going away, though, because at the end of the episode, he tells Henry that he will be bringing in investors for the pipeline. So I wonder what's going to happen with that. This is only episode two, so there is going to be more drama <laughs> in this season. Um, next week, I will be talking about episode three. From what we know, it looks like Lucas is a suspect for Nathan's accident. Um, I don't like that at all. That is not cool. I honestly think that this is a bad take on Hallmark because the how do I say this? The fatum is still divided between the two men. You guys want unity with all of the Hardys, but this storyline will divide the Hardys. We know that Lucas did not um, hit Nathan, but just the implication that he could have been, or that he was a suspect of the accident, is just like driving the dagger deeper in the fandom. And yeah, also, um, confirming what a lot of people have been saying that that the powers that be uh, are just sensationalizing their storylines which I, which is what you do when you want more of an audience but yeah this doesn't look good <laughs> anyway um, I'll talk to you guys again next week I will be releasing two reviews next week and that is Presence of Love starring Eloise Mumford and Julian Morris as well as episode 3 of Fun Calls the Heart season 9 see y'all next week bye oh subscribe subscribe and comment 
below. Tell me your thoughts and your opinions. Hope y'all enjoy the week, and I'll see you later. Bye!